Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you all here. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I want to correct something from last week. I think it's a very important thing to talk about because it may have confused some of you. But I had talked about the fact that many run to the idea that if there's a problem in this world, if there's pain in this world, if there's something that went wrong in this world, it must be God punishing us. And what I'm trying to say is, is we don't always have to run to that issue. It's, it's God punishing us. It might not be a punishment that God is doing through something like COVID-19. So understand that, yes, I believe that God does punish us. But it's not always a punishment because there are bad things that happen in this world because of the fall and bad people do bad things and that might be a result of something it might not be a punishment from God I just wanted to clarify that for everybody because some of you had contacted me about it and thought that I was saying that God doesn't punish us no he does punish but we don't always have to run to well this must be a punishment from God it doesn't work that way because God is good and when he does punish us like I said, Psalm 119.71, it is good that I was afflicted so that I may know your decrees and statutes. I may learn them. So yes, punishment is good, but it doesn't always mean that we need to run to it's God who punishes us. So with that being said, let's pray and get into the word today. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we pray. We pray, Father God, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Help us to know you more, love you well. Forgive us of our sins, our trespasses, our debts, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, lead us not into the testing of our faith, because we know we're weak, but deliver us from the evil one. Because God, you are an amazing God. You are a loving God. You are a caring God. You are a good God. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you. And we learned that last week. And so, Lord, we want to lift up you in our times of trouble. We want to share the truth of Jesus Christ with everyone we come in contact with, whether it's at the store, whether it's online, whether it's just in our everyday lives, Lord, we want to praise you in all that we do and give you the glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, and it was all about not being deceived, having the right perspective when it comes to our position in Christ. Too many people are deceived when it comes to good and bad things. And God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Because again, these people that James is writing to thought that because all this bad stuff was happening to them, all this persecution was happening to them was a bad thing, and that God must be punishing them. That's not necessarily what was happening. He's trying to change their perspective. He was trying to say that God is good. Because God doesn't work that way all the time. Let me try to explain what I mean as we get into today's teachings about it. However, last week we talked about every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. What's the greatest gift of all? Jesus Christ. 
God sent his one and only son. He didn't send him into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he's not believed in the only name of the Son of God. That's straight out of John, chapter 3. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise, because if there is anything, and I mean anything different than that, then it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not the truth. And you should disregard it as being such. Today, however, we're going to look at some important aspects of life and how we're to live life, how we are to live this life in the world that's so messed up without God. He gives us a couple practical things that we can do in the world that we're living in today. So with that being said, look at, let's look at James. We're going to look at chapter 1 again, verse 19 through 21. It says this, so turn with it. Turn to it with me if you'd like, but it says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Wow. What a mouthful. What an amazing mouthful. Let me break this down for us. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I'm going to say it again. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does it mean to be quick to listen? What does it mean to be quick to hear? How can you hear something if you already have a preconceived notion of the answer? What's involved when it comes to hearing? How are they to believe in him whom they've never heard of? Paul asked that question to Romans. How can someone hear if no one's there to preach? The answer is simple, yet extremely hard to do for many people. You need to learn to be a good listener. That's what God is calling us to do today. Be good listeners. That's a skill. It's an active skill. I got a story for you I found on the internet. I thought it was amazing. President Franklin Roosevelt was having these long lines at the White House. He was having these long receiving lines at the White House. And, and no one would listen to him. No one would listen to him. So he started to play a game. He looked at his wife and said, I'm just going to tell everyone I murdered our grandchild today. I killed our granddaughter. And so he started doing it. He'd murmur under his breath, yeah, I, I killed my granddaughter today. And people would shake his hand, good job, keep up the good work. They didn't really listen to what he's saying. And so he's sitting there going all the way through all these people, telling them that he murdered his granddaughter. And they're all saying, we really prayed for you, sir. Good job. Keep up the good work. Nice job. Until the last guy gets through the line, it's the ambassador to Bolivia. And he says it, and the ambassador to Bolivia shakes his hand, and then kind of pulls it closer to him and whispers in his ear, 
Well, if you had to go to that extreme, I guess you deserved it. And he went, uh. But people don't listen. I mean, the idea is people don't listen. We need to be good listeners. Learn how to listen. <laughs> yes, Steve doesn't listen. I agree. God is right. So learn how to listen. My wife likes to say this because it works, and I would recommend it to everyone. So what I hear you saying is, that statement right there is, is an amazing thing because it, it gives you a way to make sure that you and the other person are on the same page. And it also gives the other person a chance to say, yes, that's what I meant, or no, I meant this. So what I hear you saying is, it's a clarifying statement. It's a wonderful way to know that the other person is listening to you. I would recommend that for you. Listening is a skill and it needs to be worked on. That's what God's telling us today. Be quick to listen. Be quick to hear. Let me ask you guys a couple questions. Number one, since you think about four times faster than someone speaks, do you use that time to think about other things while they're talking? Or are you trying to keep track of what they're saying? Number two, do you listen primarily for facts rather than ideas when someone's speaking? How about this one? Do you avoid listening to things you feel will be too difficult to understand? Can you tell a person or from a person's appearance and delivery that what they're going to say isn't worthwhile hearing it? When someone's talking to you, do you appear to be paying attention when you're really not? That's always my favorite question as a pastor, because I get to see you guys interacting with me even though you don't know it, because body language says a lot. But I, 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 it amuses me. Do certain words or phrases prejudice you so you can't listen objectively? When I'm doing stuff in apologetics, I have to listen constantly. And then I have to ask the questions. What do you mean by that? Because people make truth claims all the time. And it's not my job to refute their truth claim. It's their job to prove their truth claim. And so I'll ask a clarifying question. What do you mean by that? Man wrote the Bible. Okay, what do you mean by that? And by the way, what book didn't a man or woman write? So what do you mean man wrote the Bible? Well, since man wrote the Bible and we're not perfect, God must not be perfect. There must be errors in there. Here's the next question I ask. How'd you come to that conclusion? I mean, obviously you were reading the 9th century Byzantine era manuscripts last night, so you must know exactly what's going on in the original language, right? Nine times out of 10, if not 10 out of 10, most people go, no, I wasn't. And then I'll ask the question, have you ever considered everything that's written was written by man? Why do you believe something that was written in Time Magazine over what something was written by God? Did you know that in the book of Acts and John, there's over 140 archaeological facts to be proven, that have been proven to be true? It's not my job to refute your claim that man wrote the Bible. It's my job to put a stone in your shoe that when you walk away, you go, wait a minute, do I really believe what I think I believe? And ask yourself clarifying questions. So you need to be a good listener. Are you a good listener? 
Because God is asking us to be quick to listen. Do, you, do, do we do that? Ecclesiastes tells us this. Chapter 5, verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. Let me say that statement again. Draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifices of fools. So when we go to the house of God, when we go to God in our own quiet times, it's better for us to listen than to offer sacrifices of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, and the therefore is always there for a reason in scripture, Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. Abraham Lincoln said this, it's better to remain silent and be thought of as a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. That's true. Be quick to listen when it comes to this world that we live in because many are not Many are not quick to listen, and many, in my opinion, show themselves to be fools constantly. And now we have platforms and medias and social media, and they just spew their folly constantly. And here's the thing. Find it amusing. Your job as an entertainer, if you're an athlete or an actor, is to entertain me. So shut up about politics. I don't care what your opinion is. You're not a politician. You have no idea what you're talking about. You're just spewing your own personal hate or opinion. And opinions like a belly button, I'll just be clean. Everyone's got one. So I try my best. If you're an actor or if you're an athlete, I don't care what you have to say. I don't care. It's not newsworthy to hear it. Yet we put actors on the news all the time like they're some important people that know all about politics. I don't care what someone says when they're an actor. Your job is to entertain, so shut up and entertain me. And if I wanna give you my money so that you entertain me, then I'll listen to you in the movie that you're entertaining me with or in the sporting event that you're entertaining me with. I don't pay you to do politics, so do your job. But listening takes skills. And God's asking us to develop these skills. God is asking us to develop the skills by first being quick to listen. And then he says, be slow to speak. So what does it mean to be slow to speak? Will Durant, an American historian, writer, and philosopher, once said this, talk is cheap because the supply always exceeds the demand. One of the lessons in history is that nothing is often good things to do and always a clever thing to say. Nothing is often a good thing to do, and it's always a clever thing to say. Say nothing, don't do anything. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28 says this, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lip, he is deemed intelligent. So be slow to speak. 
Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, transgressions or sins are not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The word in Hebrew for prudent is this, to have an understanding, to be keen, insightful, to show oneself as attentive. Are we attentive? I have to ask myself that many times. I don't post a whole lot of stuff on Facebook. I'll tell you right now, when I do, I know what happens to me. I get an instant response. I just posted something recently. I posted something recently and I got a bunch of different responses from people. I actually had a guy say to me, you're not upset about people forcing you to wear a mask, are you? I said, no. No, I'm not upset about that. And he said, okay, well then I'll slowly back away. How interesting are we are ready to attack somebody when we think differently than they do? But I use common sense and I try to use logic and I try to use understanding when I go to post something on Facebook. Because I know I'm gonna get attacked for it. So that's why I post very few things. I try to stay silent on Facebook because everyone I have met is a strong person on Facebook, but when you meet them face to face and you ask them questions, they're very coy. It's like what we used to equate to people who would go to the bars and they, these guys that were five foot nothing, they had no muscles, they would get what's called liquor strong. They'd get so drunk, when I was a bouncer at Michigan State University at the Silver Dollar Bar, you'd get these guys in there who had nothing and they'd get drunk and they were liquor strong like they'd beat up everybody. And I would, I would literally sit there going, what is wrong with this person? And then I realized that they thought they were strong because they had liquor in them. And I was a bouncer with a bunch of other guys that were much bigger than I was. And he would try and fight all of us. And it was just fun to see five guys take this little guy and throw him out of a bar. But that's what I equate this to. It's being liquor strong, thinking you can take on the world when you've got all these lost ambitions through your drinking. Same kind of idea when you get people who are on Facebook. They sure stand up for all the right things and they defend all these social warrior issues. I actually know people who are Christians who think it's okay to have abortion because they would rather have the kids not suffer in life because the parents not gonna take care of them. So they say, you know what, just kill them off. No, that's wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. Two wrongs don't make a right, yet we seem to think it's okay. It's not okay. Here's the problem I have. God says, don't murder. Don't murder. And I'm gonna hold people to God's standards, whether they like it or not. And here's the one thing I understand, is that when you don't believe in Jesus Christ, God's standard seems wrong and bad and hard. And in fact, in Romans 8, it says you can't even do it. And I get that. But that doesn't mean that God ever changes. So I'm going to hold people to that standard that God holds them to, even though Christians are held to that standard, and I know they're going to fail, the same thing is done to those who are not Christians. I try to give them grace. I try to give them mercy. But that's what God is asking us to do. Hold people to his standards. But many people aren't even listening to God. They don't even care what God thinks. And that's people in the church, not just people. 
outside of the church. Excuse me. Several years ago, there was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania who gives boring, cliche-ridden lectures. At the beginning of one semester, an innovative class breathed new life into his course by assigning baseball plays to each of his phrases. For example, on the other hand was a base hit. By the same token was a strikeout, and so on was a stolen base. Divided into two teams by the center aisle and lecture hall, the students throughout the term played inning after inning a silent, vigorous baseball. And on the last day of class, the impossible happened. The score was tied, the bases were loaded, and the batter hit a home run. The winning team stood up and cheered wildly. Though deeply appreciative, the professor was quoted later as having wondered, why did only half the students stand up and cheer enthusiastically about my lectures? The reality is, many of us need to learn to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Again, it's a skill that God is asking us to do today. Don't have a preconceived idea in your head when listening to someone speak and be ready to speak about their wrong or their right talk. Learn to listen. Learn to listen. Learn to be slow to speak. That's the real message. Lastly, God tells us not to be quick to anger because it produces nothing good. In fact, it produces an anger that does not produce God's righteousness, only problems. Proverbs 14 says this, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has hasty temper exalts folly. Don't get too quick to jump on conspiracy theories. Don't get too quick to get angry about all the things that are bad in your life. Be slow to anger. People have motives, and we don't know what those motives all the time are. So I try to give people a benefit of the doubt until they over and over and over again prove to me that they don't care about me. They only care about themselves or their agendas. And then I will point it out as lovingly as possible. And I'm not the greatest person at this. Many of you who are here and who are listening online who know me know that I'm not gentle. I'm not. I try to be. You should talk to my wife. I'm not the most gentle guy in the world. In fact, she says I'm very scary sometimes. <laughs> okay. But if I know you're lying and I catch you in a lie, I'm going to call you out for the lie. I think that's what some Michigan citizens are doing. Is they're pointing out the lies that our government is spewing. And they're fed up with those lies. And they're fed up with who's considered essential and who's not considered essential. God is always considered essential. I don't care what anyone says to me. And I will have an underground church all day long. Even if my government says that I can't have a church. Ben Franklin said this, that whatever begins in anger always ends in shame. He also said that anger is never without a reason, but it's seldom with a good one. Bruce Goodrich was being initiated into the cadet corps at Texas A&M University. 
One night, Bruce was forced to run until he dropped. Bruce never got up. He died. Bruce Goodridge died before he even entered college. A short time after the tragedy, Bruce's father wrote this letter to the administration, the faculty, the student body, and the core cor of, cor of cadets. He said this, I'd like to take this opportunity to express my appreciation and my family's appreciation for the great outpouring of concern and sympathy from Texas A&M University, the college community, over the loss of our son, Bruce. We are deeply touched by the tribute paid to him in the battalion. We were particularly pleased to note that his Christian witness did not go unnoticed during his brief time on campus. I hope it will be of some comfort to know that we harbor no ill will in this matter. We know that our God makes no mistakes. Bruce had an appointment with his Lord and is now secure in his celestial home. The question is asked, why did this happen? Perhaps one answer is going to be this, so that many will consider where they spend eternity. We all die. Whether we die of the coronavirus, whether we die of old age, whether we die of a car accident, whether we die of a gunshot, we all die. There's not one person in this world that lives forever. Except one guy. He died on a cross. He endured the humiliation. And then three days later, he was resurrected and he lives forever. In fact, he's in heaven preparing a place for us who believe in him. And he is going to come back to bring us to him. That's the guy we need to worship. That's the guy we need to love with all of our hearts. God is asking something of us. He's asking us to give to Caesars what's Caesars, right? That's the point. They came to Christ and said, well, what do we do with this? Well, give to Caesars what's Caesars. But what does Jesus say right after? Give to God's what's God's. And what does God require of us? Everything. He requires all of you. Not just a part of you, not just what you like to believe that he is, not just he's the good moral teacher. He requires everything from us. So yes, give to the government what the government was requiring of you. We've done that. Now give to God's what's God's. That's the real question. Are we doing that in our lives today? Doesn't mean you have to come to church. Doesn't mean you have to be in this building. It means are you giving your all to God? Are you giving your everything to Him? Because if you're not, I would ask why not? And if you are, are you telling others about it? Because the most important thing is where are you going to spend eternity? Like Bruce Goodrich's father, where are you going to spend eternity? So be slow to anger, for it doesn't produce God's righteousness. You don't need to get upset. I think the last part of this is the most important part of the verses that God laid on my heart. Verse 21 says this, Therefore, and like I said, that therefore is always there for a reason. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with the meekness 
the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. John 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Receive Jesus Christ with meekness because you can't boast of anything in this life. You can't boast of the gift of God, but it's through faith or trust that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did once you do that once you believe and receive and trust or be prepared to do good works for him because he did it in advance he prepared for us to do good works we're going to get into this in James faith without works is nothing yes he's calling us to do good works but first Come and receive with meekness the implanted word that's able to save your souls. Believe in Jesus Christ. That's the only message I can ever give. Because I am imperfect. I make mistakes. I constantly sin. But if you receive with meekness the implanted word, Jesus Christ, who was the word, who dwelt among us, then he is able to save your soul. Not some pastor. Not some mega church with a cool worship team, but Jesus Christ. Be prepared to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Colossians 3 says, starting in verse 5, says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked, you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. I haven't done that yet. I still fail in that. Says this in verse 9 Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. All these churches James is writing to are having hard times and doing wrong things. So he's telling them to put them away. The early churches in Colossae, Galatia, Philippians, Thessalonica, Corinthians, James, 12 churches that he wrote this letter to, all have problems that the church fathers were asking them to put away because they were practicing them. 
He didn't address a problem that was fictitious. He addressed the problems just like all the others that Paul addressed because these people were falling into issues. They were having anger. They were sexually immoral. They were having all kinds of issues. Thanks be to God that we are so different, right? I'm glad you're all sitting over there because the lightning bolts can only hit me for lying. Of course, I'm being tongue-in-cheek with this. We all have the same problems and the same issues, but we need to let the Word implanted in us change us. Are we letting Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, change us? That's my question, church. James said earlier, ask for wisdom and God will give it to you because he gives generously to all who ask. But you need to ask with the right motives. God is not a genie in a bottle. You can just rub the bottle and go, oh, Lord, give me a million bucks. It doesn't work that way. If it's in his will and you ask for it, God will give it to you. He'll make it happen. The problem is many don't ask for his will to be done in their lives. They want what they want. And then they get mad. I don't know if you guys have heard this yet, but I hear it a lot. Many say to me, I prayed to God and he didn't answer my prayers. So I'm done. I'm not going to pray to God anymore. I prayed that he would take the cancer away and he didn't do it. So God must not be real. That's hard. But he does answer prayers. He may not answer it the way we want him to answer it, but he does answer prayers. The saying goes like this. God is seldom early. He's never late, but he's always right on time. We just need to learn about his timing and put away all things that are against him. Do we do that, church? Are we any different than the early churches? The implanted word, Jesus Christ, is able to save your souls. Dr. Daniel M. Stearns was preaching in Philadelphia. At the close of service, a stranger came up to him and said, I don't like the way you spoke about the cross. I think that instead of emphasizing the death of Christ, it'd be far better to preach Jesus, the teacher and example. I've never had that happen here. He said it would be far better to preach Jesus, the teacher and example. Dr. Stearns replied to him, if I presented Christ in that way, would you be willing to follow him? The guy said, I certainly will. So he said this, all right then, let's take the first step. Jesus did no sin. Can you claim that for yourself? The man looked confused and somewhat surprised. He said, why no? I acknowledge I do sin. Stern replied to him, and your greatest need is not to have an example but a Savior. Look to Jesus and find life. Look to Jesus and find the way. Look to Jesus and find the truth. Look to Jesus and find the Savior of your souls. We lost a great godly man recently in Ravi Zacharias. One of the things that sticks out to me was he's a man after God's own heart. And, and he affected my life in many different ways. As I listened to this man teach about Jesus to so many, he had such a platform, an opportunity to share truth, not just as like a Billy Graham, but he did it in the way that he would meet with people 
He even talked about meeting with princes and he would go to countries that wanted to kill him and he would preach Jesus Christ. But he was a great man who, I think what he said is, is, is most important when he had a chance to speak at Billy Graham's funeral service. And I'm going to share that video with you. It's one minute and 28 seconds long. But I want you to see what Billy Graham, what he said at Billy Graham's message. And I think it's important for you guys to see this too. Charles Wesley said, God buries his workmen, but his work goes on. Wesley came, he left. You know, Sunday came, he left. Moody came, he left. He had all these great speakers. Billy served his time. We can never live in the past, but we must stand on their shoulders. We must stand on their shoulders to look forward because they are followers like people like Apostle Paul and Augustine and all of those. They stood on their shoulders. We cannot lose heart, nor can we place the ultimate confidence in just a human being. Our confidence is in the person of Jesus Christ, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. That's who we preach. Paul says we don't preach ourselves. Billy never preached himself. So a great voice has been lost, but the message goes on, and that's what we will continue proclaiming. We are living in a confluence of great uncertainty with great hunger. I've never seen such uncertainty in our world, but neither have I seen such hunger. The universities we go to are packed with thousands of students coming to here. We must honor God with the truth and do it in a way. You know, Spurgeon had a sermon called Gathering at the Center. We come through different parts, but we gather at the center. And so our path will be different, but the center is the same. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you. because he knew that's what was going to save souls. Billy Graham did the same thing. D.L. Moody did the same thing. Many others in the past have done the same thing. That's what I'm asking us to do. Always preach Jesus Christ. Always be humble. Always learn from him. I want us to learn to listen. I want us to learn to be slow to speak. I want us to learn to be slow to anger because it's the implanted word of God, Jesus Christ in our lives that's able to save our souls. Not us doing something perfectly, but it's Christ. That's the message I have for all of us. Billy Graham preached in this church 1941. I know that to be true because he never, he wasn't married at the time. He wasn't married at the time that he preached here, and his kid hadn't been born yet. Franklin Graham was born in 1952. He was still a college student here when he preached eight days. He married his wife in 1942, so it had to be 1941 because he wasn't married yet. And there are so, still people here who remember Billy Graham being in this small church. I laugh when Grand Rapids says things like, oh, Billy Graham came to 
Michigan in 1949, the first time ever. No, no, no. Totally got that wrong. He's here in 1941 as a college student at Wheaton. And you know people in this church who got saved when he came to preach. But what did he always preach? Jesus Christ, Christ alone. I'm not going to stop that. I'm not going to change that, because that's the truth. So with that being said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we pray that this world would stop fighting, that they would definitely be slow to speak. I pray for our government that they would learn to be slow to speak. They would be quick to listen to you, that they would run to you to find true understanding, to find true meanings to life. Lord, I pray that as the church, we would be an example to you and for you. Lord, some people are never going to be satisfied with Christians. They're never going to be happy. You have to take the heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. It's not something that we can do. Yes, we need to plant the seeds. Yes, we need to water it with truth. But Lord, you're the one who grows it. So Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that we would all receive, believe with meekness the implanted word, Jesus Christ, who's able to save our souls. I thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for this place. I thank you for this country. We lift up all of those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for us to be free. We have fought tyranny, dictators, and evil so that we can be free. I pray that our government would not forget that truth. I pray that many would understand what evil is. You determine what evil is. You determine what filthiness is. I pray that people would turn to you to know what the truth is because the truth will set us free. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.